Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. So glad you're here this morning. Are you convinced that we are in a war and that the war is for our hearts? Does it matter how we're dressed for this war? It does. How we are dressed will make all the difference. How we are dressed for battle will make all the difference as to whether we win or lose this battle for our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time, Lord. You are freedom, Lord. And you're inviting us this morning to step into the flow of becoming relationally whole and fully alive. Oh, Lord, may you stir our hearts today. May you give us keen insight today. May you make it crystal clear today. And may you flood our hearts with hope today that we, we can be free. Not just the person next to us or across the room, but we can be free. That's your desire. May we leave here today confident that we either are or we're becoming fully alive and free. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad you're here this morning. This is the second session in part three. Part three is entitled, Winning the War for Your Heart. And this particular session is entitled, Putting on the Armor of God. We are going to talk this morning about what we're wearing. Are we dressed for battle? I'd like to turn your attention to the Word of God. We'll start with Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 and 11. It's on the front of your handout, your outline today. And it says in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Today we're going to talk about preparing for battle. As we take a closer look at this, in these two verses that I just read, finally be strong in the Lord, not ourselves, not strong in ourselves, strong in the Lord. His mighty power, he is all power. Put on the full armor of God. What is that? We're going to be talking about that today, what that really means. So that we can take our stand, confident stand, against the devil's schemes. Because he has his schemes and we are in a war. And the Lord wants us convinced we are. And the battle is for our hearts. And as we talked about the, this last week, our hearts are a treasure. Our hearts aren't trouble. They are a treasure. And as we see more and more that our hearts are a treasure, we'll live like it. And if we see our hearts as trouble, we'll live like that too. But we need to identify our enemy. And it goes on in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to know that we battle not against flesh and blood first and foremost. Oh, certainly there are battles and conflicts with human beings. Life is all about relationship, and we know what it's like to have conflict in relationship. But there's something that's 
truer than that. Something that's true, capital T, in terms of who our real enemy is and the nature of that battle. To, to, to help illustrate that, Mindy and I were involved in a situation years ago, and actually this involved her, somebody that she was working with at that time, and obviously I can't mention who it is, even if you would know the person, we wouldn't want that to be the issue today, because who it was isn't the issue, but what God taught us through it and how we responded and how we obeyed him, that was the issue, and it always is. But there was a situation, and she was in that situation, and in that situation, her heart was attacked by this person. And basically, um, the long and the short of it was the intent of her heart was brought into question. And I think there are a few things in life, in fact, it might be at the top of the list, as far as what can wound us, what can hurt us, what can be harmful, hurtful, wounding to our hearts, is when our motives are questioned, when our personhood is attacked at the core, and she was attacked at the core, both verbally, but also the motives of her heart, the intent of her heart. And if you know my wonderful wife, she's got an obedient heart, and uh, her motives are pure, and that was, what, that, that was what was so hurtful in this situation, because the intent of her heart was being brought into question. Her motives were being brought into question, and it was deeply hurtful. But there was something that was going on that we identified. And what we identified was the enemy wasn't this other person. And based on how her heart was affected, I knew there was an enemy behind this. I knew there was a spirit of darkness behind this issue, behind this situation. So we prayed. Accordingly, I prayed for her heart and the wounding of her heart. The nature of this uh, demonic spirit that was working through this person, and I'm confident this person wasn't aware of that. I'm confident that it was not the intent of their heart to be a tool of the enemy. So uh, unwittingly, though, they were being used by the enemy to attack and hurt and wound Mindy's heart. But how should we respond? Well, more than one thing can be true, but a particular passage was very helpful in this situation. And it was, let me uh, turn your attention to 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5. And it was this particular verse that was so helpful. I'm going to read a verse or two before the verse that I want to highlight, because I just love, well, I love, it, I love it all, of course. The Word of God is wonderful. But 2 Corinthians 5.14, before we get to verse 16. 5.14, for the love of Christ, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who should live, for those, so that those who live, should live, so, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. But here's the verse I would like to uh, emphasize. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. As it says in 
the New American Standard. Let me read it there. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, outward versus inward. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So the focus there that we saw, the perspective rather that we saw, was in this particular situation, this person knew the Lord. And the insight that the Lord brought was Christ in this person was for Mindy. Christ in this person loved Mindy and loves Mindy. So what we were dealing with was the flesh, which the flesh is life with Jesus left out. It could include things like unforgiveness, uh, unrighteous anger, jealousy, envy, issues of control and manipulation and those kind of things that a person lives out of when they are not letting Jesus live in and through them. So we knew in this situation that the flesh, her flesh, this person's flesh wasn't for Mindy, and the enemy, the demon spirit behind this was certainly not for Mindy, but the perspective that God gave was if we relate to and regard this person according to who they are in Christ, though they're totally responsible for how they live and not trying to make excuses for them, but in terms of relating to this person, we saw with, I believe, God's wisdom and insight that Christ in this person was for Mindy. Christ in this person wasn't attacking Mindy. Christ in this person loved Mindy. The problem was the flesh. The problem was the demonic. So to continue on now in this situation, in faith, in obedience to the Lord, it required renewing. It required Mindy renewing her mind that as she continued to relate to this person, came into the room, had interaction with this person, had dialogue with this person, that if there were future attacks, future questions, future darts or arrows launched at Mindy's heart, that Mindy needed to renew her mind and take Jesus where she found Jesus and not identify with the flesh in this person coming through and not identifying with the demonic that was expressing himself through this person. Now, a couple other things apply. In some ways, the damage had been done. Her heart had been wounded. And it's been our experience and the insight that the Lord has given us that in these kind of situations, very often a spirit of control, uh, witchcraft, or Jezebel, if you will, behind the whole picture, can be at work, can be at work wounding and trying to cause that heart to faint and withdraw. And uh, some of the uh, symptomology of, of a heart that's been attacked by that kind of a spirit, which really has as its DNA control, manipulation, those kind of things, regardless of what we name it, uh, the nature of it is control. And as that kind of a spirit attacks, uh, very common, commonly the response is one of fear, one of anxiety, one of melting, kind of withdrawing. Uh, just like when uh, Queen Jezebel herself threatened Elijah, even Elijah, the mighty prophet, ran. 
There was a whole lot demonic going on in that situation. And even he took off. Should we be surprised? <laughs> Should we be surprised that when we're attacked, we're at least tempted or have that experience of fainting, melting, withdrawing, and experiencing fear in our hearts? I can remember an experience years ago. It was my first encounter with a spirit of darkness that attacked my heart through another person. There was definitely a spirit of Jezebel operating through this particular person. And after I got off the phone with this person, I, could har I was sitting in my chair in my office as I was visiting with them, but I couldn't hardly move after the conversation. All the strength, all the physical strength, all the emotional strength, and seemingly all the spiritual strength was drained, seemingly, drained out of my body. I knew I had been attacked. I knew my heart had been attacked because the conversation was so manipulative. It was so controlling. It was so subtly um, uh, slimy. I knew it was the enemy. And the Lord gave us insight and, and rescued us out of that situation and, and taught us how to pray in those situations. Well, part of the initial response was to pray for a decontamination in light of what had already been done. The enemy loves to slime. So in the situation with Mindy and in the one I just mentioned, we prayed that the Lord would decontaminate, de-slime, uh, just restore, just, Lord, just, just wash over my heart, just wash over my being, Lord. You've shed your blood the enemy has been defeated by the blood of the Lamb. You came to defeat the works of the devil. Just wash over, over me, Lord. Just restore my soul. Restore the joy of my salvation. Just take away these contaminating effects. Renew my spirit in you. And he does. And he did. But then to live on and in that situation, basically, Mindy had to take the approach of, when I come into that situation... I'm just going to have to take Jesus where I find him. And I know what it's like to be in um, a part of different groups or situations uh, where I knew what was on my radar screen was such that I didn't feel a whole lot of approval. And even then, back then, I, I had a stronghold of rejection, so the enemy was, was using that against me because sometimes I would walk into a room and I was picking up rejection and disapproval. But the Lord used that and it pressed me to him, and uh, I renewed my mind in the very same thing that we had learned in the situation that I just said. And I'd walk into that room, and even if I felt disapproval, even if I felt rejection, basically my response was, I'm going to take Jesus where I find him, because I know that the people in this room, the ones that have Jesus living in them, Jesus likes me. <laughs> Jesus loves me. Jesus is for me. Their flesh may not like me. Their flesh may not understand me. Their flesh may be jealous. Their flesh may be coveting. Their flesh may have an attitude that's not love-filled or grace-filled. And then the enemy certainly doesn't like me. He hates me. So sometimes I would come into meetings or in rooms, uh, meetings that I was a part of or rooms filled with people for a particular purpose. And sometimes I would, I would say, well, Jesus, are you here? Where are you? <laughs> I sure hope you're here today. 
And of course, we know he is in those who believe. But sometimes it felt that way. <laughs> you're in a meeting or in your, you're in a situation, it's like, Jesus, where are you? There's a whole lot of flesh around here. There's, there's a whole lot of demonic influence. Lord, are you here? But of course, I knew he was, and I'd renew my mind in that. But that served me well. The enemy wanted to sabotage me. The enemy wanted to further attack me. But even then, before I was free, free from rejection, the Lord used that as a springboard for me to renew my mind and to take Jesus where I found him and to regard no person according to the flesh, according to the demonic influence, but I identified with Christ in them. And it wasn't like it was all about me. That wasn't the issue. It's all about Jesus. But I was renewing my mind in many situations, reminding me, well, this isn't true of Keith because he's, he's wonderful. He's, this is a non-issue with him. But if I felt that from Keith, it would be like, well, Lord, you, you live in Keith and you love me. Uh, I'm experiencing a little flesh with Keith today. And, and uh, I think the enemy's trying to attack me, but you living in Keith, you think I'm wonderful. So you're safe. You're safe, Lord. So we identify with Jesus and not with the flesh or with the enemy. So I hope that's helpful in terms of when you are attacked, how to respond, and when you're in situations where you have a, you have a naturally you have more of an expectation with Christians, we expect them to act like Christians, right? And for those of us who are, we, uh, I'm sure others have that expectation that we're love-filled, we're grace-filled, we're wisdom-filled, we're truth-filled, and, and all those things but we're not petty, we're not jealous, we don't covet, we don't compare, we don't envy, we don't have any unforgiveness in our hearts, we're already free from rejection and shame and all those things, and we're just free to be loved and love, right? <laughs> Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. We are in process. So as we are living, there is a battle going on for our hearts, and we are definitely vulnerable at times. And I think what adds to our vulnerability is we have higher expectations toward our fellow believers. And the enemy loves to exploit that because they have issues. So as the flesh is coming through them, life with Jesus left out in different ways. And as the demonic is coming through them, whether they realize it or not, those controlling, attacking, wounding spirits, how are we going to respond? Well, we need to identify we need to identify, we need to realize our battle is not against flesh and blood. In relationship with one another, the other person is not the enemy. And as I shared last week, we aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And that doesn't mean we're preoccupied with him, but we do need to factor him in and pray for discernment as to when he does apply. He doesn't, he's not always the issue but we need eyes to see when he is. Well, let's talk about an overview of this attire, and then we'll go on from there. Dressed for battle. We've identified the enemy, and we know the enemy is not us. And the truest thing is the enemy is not that other person. Sometimes it's pretty tempting to think it is. But now, dressed for battle. And that has to do with putting on the full armor of God. 
so that when the day of evil comes, and it will, and I just gave an example of when it did, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, as we say that word stand, as I express that word stand, that doesn't mean do nothing. That doesn't mean it's totally a defensive thing. There is some of the armor that's more defensive than offensive, and we'll talk about that. But when the Bible is talking about standing, the, the meaning of that is you engage, you vanquish the foe, and you stand. And you'll see more of how that works. But for us who believe, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we know that the devil is already defeated. We know he's already defeated and that basically in the same way we live in, we live on planet Earth with terrorism going on, I would liken demons as terrorists. The, the war in Iraq was supposed to be over, right? Saddam, uh, Saddam Hussein is out. It's over, right? Not according to the terrorists. And so it is. Satan's defeated, defeated by the blood of the Lamb. We have the authority of Christ now. He, he never did, but we have the authority of Christ. He was a created being, Satan, a created being who went bad, who rebelled. So we have the authority of Jesus Christ to stand, to exercise the authority we have and to stand, but he's a defeated foe but we live in a land of demonic terrorism and we need to be ready and we need to operate from that authority that we have and stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. The whole armor relates to the truth. The truth is key. Not living by what we feel. Not living by the view of you're the sum total of your life's experiences or some part thereof. So you believe into that. Don't believe into that. Believe into the truth, what he has said and what he's a saying, what he's saying that's rooted in what he's already said. The, breast, the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Our feet fitted with readiness. He is our readiness. The shield of faith, quenching all the fiery darts of the enemy. The King James Version tells us in uh, Galatians 2.20 that we have the faith of the Son of God. We're not lacking in any faith. We don't need more faith. If we know who we are, we live from the faith of the Son of God. And he's not lacking in faith. We just need to appropriate his. The helmet of salvation. He, Jesus, is our salvation. The sword of the Spirit. The word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And Jesus himself is the word. And then prayer in the Spirit. It's like prayer buckles all of the armor together. So, in summary then, what is the armor of God? What's the truest thing? More than one thing is true. And we'll talk more about the distinctives of each part. But what's true, capital T, is the armor of God is Christ himself. Put on Jesus. Well, he already lives in me. What do you mean, put him on? Did I take him off somewhere? No. Put on as in appropriate, reaffirm, believe, live from the reality of Christ as your truth, Christ as your righteousness, Christ as your faith, and on and on. Put on Christ. As the Word of God tells us in Ephesians 4, 22, to put off 
the flesh, to put off the old self, and then in Ephesians 4.24, to put on the new self, put on Christ. Be renewed in that. Before we go any further, I'd like to push the pause button, and I'd like you to consider what I've shared before we go on. And the question would be, has your heart been attacked? And have you ever thought that it was more than flesh? Oh, yes, you know what it's like to be in conflict. You know what it's like to be hurt and wounded, I know. We all have. It's common to man. It's life on planet Earth. We've all been wounded in some way. We've all been hurt in some way. We've all been offended in some way. But have you limited your perspective to think it was just on a human level, be it a father, a mother, a sister, or other, and a, sig a significant other? Have you kept it just on a human level, or have you ever thought that it really, this went beyond, this, this really is beyond the human level? The human level may have been involved, but this, this was beyond. And, and, I, and I really believe I was attacked. I really believe my heart was attacked. Today we're talking about the heart. We realize the enemy can attack bodies, he can attack different things. But today, the theme, the focus is the heart because this, this part three of freedom is entitled winning the war for your heart. So this is about the heart. So how has your heart been attacked? Oh yes, you know it has by people. You know you've been judged. You know your motives have been brought into question. You can identify with Mindy, I'm sure, and that experience that I relayed to you. You know you've been, some have been betrayed. Some have been rejected. Some have been abandoned. And, that, and you knew it happened. It was happening on a human level, a relational level, or a lack of relationship. But have you ever allowed, have you ever allowed yourself to consider that there was an enemy, even the enemy of your soul, behind that? And he, he was the one that was really behind it. More than one thing was true, but he definitely was included. Have you allowed yourself to go there? Have you allowed yourself to consider that? I'd like you to take just a moment to think about how you have been wounded, how the war for your heart has really hurt you in the past, and have you allowed yourself to consider it was the enemy of your souls that was attacking you? This morning, I'm seeking to convince you we are in a war. I'm seeking to convince you it is for our hearts. I'm seeking to entreat you it does matter what you're wearing. We do need to dress for battle, and we do need to see how that relates to our enemy. There's a connection. There's a purpose. I really believe David, King David, who soon, who eventually became King David, but from the account I'm going to read, he's not king yet. But I really believe this story of David and how he vanquished Goliath uh, can be very helpful to us this morning. David's armor in his stand against Goliath. Let's turn to the 17th chapter of Samuel. And obviously, I won't read the whole story. But to give you a little background, King Saul was king at this time. But King Saul had already been rejected by the Lord. 
he had not followed instructions well back in 1 Samuel 15. The Lord had commanded him to destroy the Amalekites, man, woman, child, cattle, everything, the king, 100%, and he did not. So the prophet Samuel delivered the sad news that it was game over for King Saul and that he was, the Lord had rejected him as king. Shortly thereafter that, God was looking for another king. And uh, he wanted a king that would always do what he said to do. He wanted a man after his heart. And uh, a parallel passage to all of this is in uh, Acts 13.22, where, uh, paraphrased, it says that God removed Saul as king and put David in his place because he knew that David was a man after his heart and that he would do whatever he said. Now we know from the life of David that he didn't always obey the Lord. We know he failed uh, many times, committed adultery, took a census, pride, all that, uh, had Uriah, the, uh, the husband of the one that he got involved with, Bathsheba, uh, had him set up vulnerable on the front lines, who was guilty of adultery, guilty, guilty of murder. Uh, not a good example of leadership, certainly. Uh, pride in his heart. But even with all that in mind, the Bible tells us that David was a man after his heart. That's what God was after, a man after his heart. Saul was not that man. And Saul didn't follow instructions very well. So the Bible tells us <clears throat> that the spirit... In 1 Samuel 16, 14, the Spirit of the Lord had departed Saul. Before we even get to chapter 17, the Spirit of the Lord had already departed Saul. <clears throat> In 1 Samuel uh, 16, 13, we see that David had been anointed to be king. He had been anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel. That The Spirit of the Lord had come upon him in power. So in God's economy, in God's heart, things had already changed. <clears throat> but Saul still had the position. He had the position without power. He had the position without the Lord. He had the position about the Spirit of the Lord. That's not a good place to be. Position without power. Position without the favor of the Lord. Position without the Spirit of the Lord is not a good place to be. But that was the place he was in temporarily. So here we are, David comes on the scene. He's already been anointed, but nothing had changed hands in terms of um, kingship, rulership, or all of that. That had not taken place yet, but God had already made his choice. So David had been ministering to Saul because Saul had an evil spirit, and as David played uh, music, uh, that comforted Saul's heart, and then he went back and forth from uh, his dad's uh, place tending the sheep to Saul's court. So here we have in this story, his dad sends David to the battlefield because the, the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines. Now, in the way of uh, symbolism, it's important to understand <clears throat> that um, when Saul, <clears throat> excuse me, when Saul was commanded 
when Saul was commanded to destroy the Amalekites, the Amalekites represent the flesh. Life with Jesus left out. Living life on your own strength. And he failed to destroy the flesh. The Bible commands us to crucify the deeds of the flesh. Saul failed to destroy the flesh. The Philistines, on the other hand, represent the demonic. And as you look at uh, their, their main false god that they worshipped back then, was called Baalzebub, B-A-A-L-Zebub, Baalzebub. That was their main false god that they worshipped, uh, called the Lord of the Flies. So Saul had failed to annihilate the flesh. The Spirit of God had departed from him. King David had been anointed by God, and the Spirit had already come upon him. And his father sent him to the battlefield, not to do, to do battle, but to check on his three brothers. And when he got there, let's pick it up from there. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David asked the men standing near him, What will be done? What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, Goliath, and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he was, he was, there was righteous anger stirring in him. Notice, contrast that back earlier in 1 Samuel 17, where it says that uh, as uh, Goliath was coming out for 40 days in a row straight, challenging the Israelites to send one to do battle, a representative one, <clears throat> like he was the champion. So Israel, send me a champion. And then the fate will be decided. Whoever wins, if you win, we'll be subject to you. If I win, you're subject to me. So that challenge was made every day. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Keep that fixed in your mind. That's very significant. David comes on the scene, and what is he, how does he respond? Let me also say, based on what I was saying earlier, in terms of how when a demonic spirit, when a demonic spirit is assaulting in the Philistines, we're all about the demonic. So we're not just talking about words. We're not just talking about words. We're talking about the evil, wicked power behind those words. And how do they respond? They were dismayed and terrified. What did I describe to you earlier? When your heart is attacked by a spirit of control, witchcraft, Jezebel, or the like, how does it affect your heart? Anxiety, fear, faint, fainting, and withdrawal in many cases. But what was David's response? The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was experiencing righteous anger. And then I'll fast forward to verse 32. You can go back and read this later this afternoon or in the near future, I hope. 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your, your servant will go and fight him. Of course, they brought that into question. I mean, because here's David, 22, 23 years of age, no battle experiences. We're talking about a veteran here. Goliath was a veteran. 
warrior. He'd been fighting a long, long time. And here's David. He'd never done something like this. But David spoke up and said what he had done. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. He gave the account of that, how he was tending his sheep, and he went after a lion and a bear, and he killed them both. Your servant has killed, verse 26, chapter 17, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like, <clears throat> will be like one of them, <clears throat> excuse me, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I think he's confident. <laughs> Saul said, go, and the Lord be with you. Well, we know what happened then. Saul offered his armor. So before I talk about that, David preparing for battle. He's identified the enemy. And now Saul says, go, and the Lord be with you. And then he offered his armor. I believe that the armor that Saul offered him was the armor of the flesh. And he put it on, and it was cumbersome, it was heavy. He wasn't, it just, he wasn't used to it. It was like, this, this, this won't work, this won't do. I can't do this, I can't use this. It's not who I am. So we see that's the kind of armor Saul was wearing because of how he had lived. Because Samuel had said back in, in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Because Saul had said to Samuel, I did obey. And uh, Samuel back then must have been absolutely flabbergasted because the Lord had clearly said, go and destroy the Amalekites, Agag, the, the king and all, everything, man, woman, child, cattle. And, and what does Saul say? Well, I, I, I did. I did obey the Lord. And, Saul, and then Samuel said, well, what's the bleeding of sheep that I hear in the background? Well, well, those are for a sacrifice. And then the king, they spared the king. And that's when Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. No substitute obedience, in other words how it is with us. We might have an area in our life that we know the Lord's putting his finger on. And we know he wants us to change. But we are not willing to change. But then there's another area that we're really doing well on. You know, there's this one area, you know, there's this habit that's got more control over us than we have over it. And the Lord's saying, that's idolatry. That, that's idolatry. That's got a place that I want you, I want to have in your life. But then we're saying, well, we're tithing now, God, and, and we're going down to the Hope Center, and we're serving, we're working with children. Look what we're doing, God. I mean, look at all this stuff we're doing. Doesn't, doesn't that account for anything? To obey is better than your substitute brand of obedience. This is your offering to me. You want me to accept you on your terms, and I want it to be on my terms, says the Lord. And by the way, surrendering your life to Jesus, giving him first place, letting him pay the debt, letting him wash you, cleanse you, fill you, and make you a son or daughter are his terms. You don't have to add anything to it. So the Saul, excuse me, Saul was wearing the armor of the flesh. That's what his armor represented. So obviously David couldn't go for that. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. So what he did, after it was decided that wasn't going to work, he, David, 
took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream, he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. So there was some back and forth there. I mean, the, uh, Goliath was mocking him and totally discounting what the Israelites were offering as their champ champion. So he was mocking again. But then David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Can you just see it? Can you just see it? Lord, just, Lord, take us there. Lord, take us there. It was many years ago, Lord, but take us there. All those who gathered here, and this is David continuing on, all those, <clears throat> all those gathered here know that it is by the sword. It is not. All those that are gathered here know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you, all of you, all of you demons are under. Are, in other words, all of you demons are going to be under our authority. Because, and I'll just make the parallel here, because Jesus has given us that authority. The enemy has been defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess will, uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we have been raised up and made to, be, uh, to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers. That is the truth. I'm making the parallel there, Ephesians, the second chapter making the application to us. Let me read that again. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. It is not by the flesh. It is not by human effort. It is not by depending upon myself. It is not by uh, strategy, the best strategy of an army. It's not by the best minds of strategy for warfare on a human level. The Lord saves. He is. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into the, his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And now, remember what I said earlier, and here's another application. And David ran and stood. David ran and stood over him, going back to putting on the armor of God and take your stand against the enemy's schemes. Having vanquished him, agreeing with Jesus who has already defeated him, and we are his. We are his sons and daughters. We are bought and paid for. We are the purchased ones. 
And we can enter into the stream. We can enter into the flow. We can wield the weapons of our warfare. We can agree with God and we can stand. Having done all, stand. And here it is. David ran and he stood over him. He took the Philistine sword, his own sword, and he drew it. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with his sword, with the sword. Notice what followed. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they, they turned and ran. I love that picture a whole lot better than the earlier one. When Saul and the ones that were wearing the armor of the flesh turned and ran. It's the difference between the armor of God and the armor of the flesh. We cannot go anywhere. We are sunk. We are dead in the water wearing the armor of the flesh. So it's so important that we know who is the enemy. Have we identified what's really going on? Do we know that he is defeated? Do we know that the battle is the Lord's and that we now, in agreement, not having to come up with something, not having to work at it, not having to perform, but as a part of who we are already clothed with Christ, having already put off the flesh and put on Christ. I love what it says in Romans 13, 14, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Let's back up to verse 12. The night is almost gone, Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and... Um, in drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So as we close our time, in your heart I pray you will respond. Put on Christ. I think it would do us well every morning before we get out of bed to reaffirm that, to get dressed for the day. We get up, we shower, we shave, men do anyway, and, uh, and ladies do too, I suppose, if you're shaving your legs, you know what I mean. But uh, we get ready, we get ready, and we get dressed in terms of our outer garments. But are we putting on the belt of truth? And let's make a little faith truth application here. Ephesians 1, 6, we're accepted in the beloved. That is the truth. That is the truth that says, rejection be gone the breastplate of righteousness in place. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When the challenge would come, you're the sum total of your life's experience. Look what you did. Look what's been done to you. You're not righteous. You're not perfect. Trying to get us to set a, buy into a standard of unreality. The Lord is our righteousness. We have none of our own. Our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He is our strength. He is our readiness. We can do all things that he wants us to do through him who strengthens us. Take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, all those arrows that we talked about in part two of this series. Pride, shame, 
fear, rejection, anger, depression, the arrow comes, questioning our intents, attacking our hearts, questioning our integrity, twisting, betraying, hold up the shield, extingu extingu extinguishing the flaming darts of the evil one. We have the faith of the Son of God. No weapon formed against us will prosper. The causeless curse will not alight because we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's no cause for a curse to alight. We don't have to be afraid of being cursed because he became a curse for us and anybody that tries to put a curse on us, it cannot alight because of who we are. So you don't need to live in fear of some witch across the other side of town is putting a curse on you today because the causeless curse will not alight because of who we are. If we are dressed, clothed with Christ, the victor, take the helmet of salvation. He is our salvation. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, letting him have the last say. And then praying, pray, 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 even as the Spirit of God deep within us, not just praying out of our heads, not just praying out of our, our experience, but connecting with God in such a way. He's always on our mind. He is our life. He is our armor. He is everything to us. He is always on our mind. So, Lord, deep within, deep within, may your life within, a river of life, flow, live, pray, and say, that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Lord, thank you that it's already done. And we stand and agree. And if and as we need to respond, or if and as we need to take offensive action, we do it with the confidence in the one David, who later became king, and he was confident because, because the Spirit of God was upon him. And Lord, we receive. Just flood us with your Spirit today so that we will have the revelation and the confidence of who we are in you. And we will live that way too. For your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.